as I become more accustomed, as I become more senior, things will change and hopefully I'll have less doubt. But it is a very large problem that really it's up to you just to believe in yourself over non-belief in yourself. And so as I become more accustomed to my role, I'll gain more knowledge and become more of an expert. And I think that will uh, be the biggest driver overall is time. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to the It's a Material World podcast. I'm Tony, and David is joining me today. Well, this episode is a little bit different, right? Where we trying to figure out different episode concepts to try out. And we decided to hop on the chat GPT train and we wanted to ask chat GPT, you know, for discussion topics relating to material science, specifically early career professionals and college students, whether that's undergrad or graduates. And so based on that, you know, chat GPT, lovely source, lovely resources has given us some topics to discuss, whether that's, you know, mentorship or time management or, you know, transitioning from academia to industry in, or one industry to another, just an assortment of topics that we'll be discussing today. So I guess without further ado, David, I wanted to see if you had any anything in particular that any topic you wanted to start out with. Uh, maybe we can start with uh, successful project management in material science. So I guess, what what does that mean to you? To me, I think project management just means how do you move like a series of tasks or a project with one end goal? How do you move it forward as efficiently as possible? And this has been something that in my role as a design assurance engineer at Boston Scientific, I've gotten more and more experience with it as I've been able to take on more kind of leadership roles. There's a role where you just you just act as the functional expert or you you provide the functional opinion, but then there's also kind of more of that PM role where you are gathering cross-functional opinions and you decide on the path forward. I think one of the key learnings that I've had is to from like the first project that that I managed or led to the one I'm leading right now it's to one like define the problem statement as clearly as possible and make sure that that's visible and and known like with each meeting that you have so people understand the scope of the investigation or or whatever whatever the goal is and then having kind of like, I guess I use a slide deck or, you know, just a project management tool to identify here are the ta- like here are the different things that we need to look into to get to the root cause or identify potential root causes. Here are the tasks that we're we're looking at. Here's who's responsible. And here's like the the deadline to kind of accomplish that task. So everyone understands like, okay, here's the goal. Here's why my task specifically is important to reaching that goal. And I think when you add a due date, even if it's relatively arbitrary, at least you're moving the project forward and people understand who's the primary person who's responsible and when do they need to get it get it done by. So that was kind of a lot there, but that was kind of the main thing in terms of how do I structure a project and how do I manage that effectively? But wanted to get your insights if you have anything to add there. Yeah, no, I think that's very comprehensive. I think the points I like to emphasize and add on are first, uh, what you're talking about with the primary contact. I think there's always like the saying that, oh, unless you say someone and tell them exactly what to do, they might freeze or in this case, do nothing. So I think just making sure that there's a person that is solely responsible, but also that there's backup people. So identify key resources to 
help and support. So that would just be like saying, this is the primary and then this is the secondary person that'll be working on this project. I think it's very helpful so that they don't feel alone and they have someone to immediately go to for help or support. I think other than that, you did a really good job. Maybe just something to add upon is how to prioritize. I think that prioritization of tasks is extremely hard. So it really all goes back to the main goal and then figuring out the workflow of exactly what needs to be accomplished before you reach a goal. And so in there, you need to identify where each of your tasks kind of lies within this workflow. And so you need to be able to identify the key tasks that need to happen now, that need to happen later, and then like little tasks along the way. Uh, so what I mean is that some key task has to be done at the end once everything else is ready. And so prioritization can work along that workflow so that we can prioritize the things that need to be done earlier to unlock uh, what needs to be done later. I think in like a more of a visual way, you can make a timeline and be able to plot it all out to effectively prioritize and then mediate. And so this could be that like the primary of the first main task can then become the secondary of the second main task, which is relying on it. And so in this way, you can cycle out who's in charge and then also have people who have done some of the legwork then become the support system to support the second task. Other than that, I think you did a very effective job explaining how <laughs> most people do project management. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I, I love that idea with the, in terms of the project timeline. And I think a common example of that is a Gantt chart. But just what you were talking about with the primary and secondary acting as a support system is like an interesting twist to that. And I know in our capstone project, the, our team really liked that idea with the primary and then not as the person who's going to be held accountable, but they're not alone in that endeavor, right? They'll have secondary to rely on. And just kind of to maybe wrap this topic with a bow, it's just important to keep continuous communication with your team members and the stakeholders involved. So in my case, for example, you know, there's like the core team that I work with on a daily or weekly basis. And I have meetings with them on a weekly basis to see, okay, where are we at with various tasks? But then there's also the managers who want to be kept in the loop. They want higher level updates. So they see that the project is moving forward and that they can offer their thoughts and not be kept totally out of the dark, right? And so one thing that I learned is it, it helps to have separate meetings because sometimes managers don't want to be, you know, fully in the weeds of the technical details. They don't want to, you know, be potentially wasting their time in those conversations. They just want the higher level updates. So I found it to be more efficient to separate a management review meeting versus a technical team meeting. And then also in those technical team meetings, just continuing to communicate action items in a, potentially a follow-up email. So everybody's clear on exactly what their tasks are. So hopefully that kind of wraps the recommended project management strategies with a bow. But I guess the next thing that, that I wanted to talk about is time management. So this is more personal, less group focused, but how do you manage your time effectively as a material scientist, but that's prioritizing your tasks and overcoming distractions and also even what technologies are you currently using to stay as efficient as possible and kind of streamline everything? Uh, the reason why I wanted to talk about this is because of what we're using today, ChatGPT. <laughs> uh, and so I think that there's a lot of new technology coming out 
with like a lot of different promises. And so I've been trying a few of them out to see what works for me and what doesn't. But I think ChatGPT has been a great resource. So with that, my favorite things to do with it are when I code, have it write the framework for me, and then I'll go back and actually edit, make it usable. Uh, and then I also like to put in papers and have it tell me what are the three like main points of this paper as like a highlight. And then I'll look through the paper to look at those points more specifically. And so I think that technology allows us to identify key points, but then I think it's still important to go back yourself to uh, dig into those key points more uh, clearly to understand exactly what's occurring and not rely on technology because it has been seen to be wrong from time to time. So I think it's a great first pass. Uh, and that really streamlines a bunch of different things for me because now I can just quickly do a first pass through ChatGPT uh, or other technologies. And then I can go back to the ones that seem to be the most relevant and read in more detail. So I think that has saved me a lot of time doing a lot of the grunt work uh, that would have been done otherwise. So I think first using uh, technology, and then other than that, just uh, also more managing time skills, set aside some time to work and then time to rest. So just separating work and life helps uh, just keep you on task. And so I think just moving forward, knowing that past this time, I'm not going to do any work, allows me to focus more on the work in that time instead of basically goofing off. So I think that <laughs> those two are my, my primary tips for how as we become a more technologically advanced society, uh, trying to leverage the technology that is becoming available uh, can make you more efficient. I totally agree. You don't want to be kind of left behind by not taking advantage of something like chat GPT or, or whatever technology, whether it's AI or not, is most applicable. And I love that specifically how you leverage chat GPT to kind of create a structure that saves you time, right? Um, and it's not like you're cheating anyone or anything, right? You're like you're just using it to, to have a starting point because I feel like one of the hardest things to do is just get started, right? And then you kind of build that momentum. So I couldn't agree more on that front. I guess the other technologies that I use are fairly simple. You know, it's Google Calendar and a journal, like a journal just to write down like here, here are my priorities in terms of here's what I want to do every single day. And then here's some of the stuff that I think would, would be productive, would be good to, to work on today. And then kind of add those tasks into my Google Calendar, right? Um, and then also kind of plan out the rest of my week as well. So I have a general idea of like, here are the needle moving tasks that'll get me to where I want to be. I've also used Trello in the past, and I'm currently working with Monday.com. These are project management tools that you can use personally. It's just kind of a workspace or workboard for yourself. Just some things to try out. Everybody's going to be different in terms of their preferences. But I do think just as things get busy, as they they often do, whether you're a student or whether you're early career professional, things do get busy. So I think it's important to prioritize your health as well. One thing that I try to do is I try to get some form of exercise in every day, meditate every day and read every day. So that just keeps my mental health in check. And even though that there's always you know so much stuff going on, right, whether that's work related, podcast, whatever. So those are just some tips from the time management perspective. David, I wanted to see if you had anything else to add, or if not, what topic do you want to discuss next? Uh, that's a pretty good overview of how we manage our time. So maybe we can move into the next topic. Maybe we can go to strategies for career transition in material science. So for this one, uh, I know that 
we wanted to talk about basically being able to take skills from one industry sector and then go to another industry sector or even like academic research group to another research group. For this, I think we just wanted to highlight the key things that you need to take from every job or like a list of discernible skills that can be used at any point. So that would be like data analysis or just like basic lab skills. These things can always add up to build a good base of foundation so that when you do transition, it's an easier transition because you have this solid base of fundamental skills that then you can build upon expertise that will be able to help you excel in the new industry. And so maybe for examples, I think that moving around, Vinita and I both did like different internships uh, in different sectors. I think the key point whenever we did decide to change was that first you did your research on what skills are needed to excel in the role. Then you would uh, do research on uh, those skills and try to build it up. So for example, I did a data science internship. So learning more about Python and data science. And then I did a project on it with the company. Uh, working on these skills more and more gave me room to improve and build upon my fundamentals. And then finally, framing all my past experiences in a way that can be understood by the new group. And so talking about material science is basically just data science of materials. And so learning about all these fundamental equations, like the Arrhenius equation, are just like basically probabilities of things occurring. And so framing things that I've been doing in one field as just a applied science of another field, because we take very heavily from each other's fields to be able to excel and get ideas from them. So being able to eloquently explain, I know that I can do this job because I do these things in my own field are very helpful in being able to convince or basically show that I'm not just someone that will not know what they're doing completely. It'll take time, of course, but I have fundamentals from this other field that I can apply to yours. I think that's like the main thing that I wanted to talk about. I think it's just a testament like to just knowing you the past, I guess, like six, seven years now, like your path hasn't always been like exactly clear. Like you didn't know exactly where you'd end up, but your past experiences, it's, it was obvious to me why like Tesla wanted you based on like the way you were able to frame your different experiences, whether it was your data science internship, your battery research experience and your internship experience, obviously that as well, but just the way you're able to kind of frame all of these projects and everything that you've been involved in, like it was a no brainer why Tesla would choose you. Right. And so I think the only thing I would add is clearly the key step that, that you identified was identifying those transferable skills and figuring out a way to put it in perspective so that the recruiter or the hiring manager knows the value that you're providing to that company, right? And so then the question is, how do you identify those transferable skills? Or how do you identify what is the requirements to be successful in that role? And that's where I would just say, like, start your, your job search or start that transition by just trying to connect with people who are already in that position where you're you're kind of eyeing, right? Or you're interested in, and then and narrow down from there and ask them, like, what are the three characteristics required to be successful in this role, as well as, you know, also just kind of learn more about what they felt have been key skill sets that they've built or ex past experiences that they've been able to leverage quite frequently to be, again, successful in, in their current role. So for from personal experience, right, to I didn't have any medical device 
experience really outside of the capstone project that David and I were, were a part of, but I was able to talk about my data analysis experience from my GE internship or my research experience, or even, you know, my materials testing and characterization experience at Solve and transfer that and show like, Hey, like I have this research and, and data analysis experience that I know just from my conversations with other design assurance engineers is a prerequisite to kind of being a successful engineer in medical devices. Um, and I was able to simulate the design process in the medical device space through my capstone project. But one one gap that I identified was that I didn't have Minitab experience. That's a you know statistical tool. I had various experience with Excel, but I knew that Minitab was a prerequisite or not necessarily prerequisite, but just kind of a preferred experience based on reading the job description, as well as talking to people at Boston Scientific and, and other medical device companies. And so as a result, that was something where it's like, okay, I can learn this without having like an internship to do so. So I just used LinkedIn Learning. I leveraged that tool to learn more about Minitab and, and get some experience with that. And then I was able to talk about that in my interviews and say like, hey, like I understand there's a gap here, but I'm, I'm currently working on it. And that was also much appreciated. So I thought you had a very, very comprehensive discussion there in terms of how do you transition from one industry sector to another. I think generally the same principles apply if you want to transition from academia to industry. You just probably have to leverage more of your your research experiences more. And also the main difference that I see from academia to industry is more of the soft skills, it seems like, just being able to work with different functions. And so just to be able to highlight your communication skills in terms of your thesis presentation or attending conferences, things like that, presenting in front of very diverse audiences, just just highlight that. And that'll be, you know, highly sought after in, in the industry. So I think that wraps up that conversation about strategies for transitioning your career in material science. Another one that ChatGPT talked about, another topic was mentorship and discussing strategies, not necessarily for seeking out mentorship, but a good amount of our audience has probably mentored someone in the past, whether it's a graduate student to an undergrad student or, you know, a recent graduate to a current undergrad student or like a freshman or, or sophomore, you know, and how do you properly support material science students? One framework that I've tried to prioritize when I'm in more of that mentor role and working with a mentee is approaching it more as a coach instead of a consultant. And so the difference there is that a consultant identifies the potential issue and then gives you a solution of here's exactly what you need to do to overcome that challenge, right? To determine the root cause and then identify a solution to get to where you want to be. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think as a coach, there's more of that question asking and that kind of back and forth discussion of like allowing the the mentee to iterate their mo motivations and what inspires them and then allow them to kind of problem solve for themselves. And you just offer guiding questions so that they can think through solutions and then get your thoughts and everything like that to have like a comprehensive solution and plan. And then they feel like they came up with it themselves. 
so that you're basically coaching them so that every time they have an obstacle or a challenge they need to overcome, instead of running to you for a solution, they're thinking through it themselves and then just getting kind of your support along the way. I think that is a lot more powerful from the longer term perspective because you're not going to be their mentor forever, always, right? But if, if you give them frameworks to think about to solve problems for themselves, then I think they can really just like develop as a human over the long term, both personally and professionally, if that makes sense. But I wanted to see what your thoughts are there as as a mentor. I know you've been part of like the industry mentor program. So just wanted to get your thoughts. Yeah, I think that the most useful thing for being a mentee, going to a mentor or trying to mentor others is basically being a nice source of information and next steps. Because I feel like a lot of times when someone comes to you for support, they're almost lost. And so it's very nice to go to someone who has seen more things and has accomplished more than you and ask them, like, what are some next steps with, oh, I'm moving across country. Like, what should I be thinking about for a job? Or I want to move career professions. Like, how, like, would I start considering this? And so other than what Puni said, I think that just being someone with more knowledge uh, is always super useful. And just hearing about their experiences can start to give some light about how I might tackle a problem. And so I think just being a good resource is one thing. And then also basically being a second set of eyes on another thing is that sometimes I really just need someone else to look over this to make sure that I'm not making any gross mistakes or like huge errors. And so I think that it's always just more calming to be able to go to someone and say, hey, I'm going to submit this to this job. I would really love the second pair of eyes. And so basically just being there and then also being like, oh, like, of course, do like what you think is best. But like, here are some resources. Here are some next steps. Like, go ahead and like explore what's out there for you and then make a decision. I think it's always good to be a mentor as really like as you go through life, always take information from those who have done more than you. So I think that's like another step of as we grow older, that can be another step of mentoring that we can give. And then we can always still take from those above us. Absolutely. And I think it's just a follow up to that. It seems like mentees, each mentor mentee relationship is different and mentees sometimes need different things. And that's something that I'm constantly learning is it's important, at least for me to, instead of assume what they need, you continue to ask questions so that you're both on the same page about like, what would a successful mentor mentee relationship look like? And what, what does that mentee need from the mentor on a week to week basis or however frequently you're, you're meeting. So for one mentee, you know, maybe they really want that accountability where like after every week you check in and say like, Hey, have you accomplished X, Y, and Z? You know, that, that those were the three things that you wanted to accomplish, but someone else may, may not want that. They maybe just want someone to talk through things with and glean advice from, and, you know, there's different stages of, of the relationship. So it's, that's just another thing to keep in mind is just have, be aligned on what the goal is with this, with this relationship and how will it be successful from both ends. To maybe wrap up this conversation, we're going to go a little bit more into, I guess, the psychology, but it is something that I feel I've seen from many material science students and young professionals, especially entering their first role or 
you know, getting involved in something massive for the first time is how do you overcome or even deal with imposter syndrome as a material scientist? And maybe this is, there's different feelings that come with this, you know, self-doubt, maybe a lack of confidence or just how do you develop a growth mindset? So I just wanted to get your thoughts, David, on overcoming or even dealing with imposter syndrome, if you have any advice on that front. I would say like with jumping around different industries, always going in for like your first couple of weeks are going to be stressful because it's like a completely new industry that isn't what you're like classically trained in. And so I think the main thing to remember as uh, young career professionals is that they don't expect the world of us at the beginning. And so really just being uh, open-minded and trying to learn as much as possible uh, is what helps me through uh, my imposter syndrome. And so I don't know if like I can ever tell you how to overcome it like eventually because who knows if I'm actually over it. It comes in spurts basically just randomly. But I think that what has helped me the most is just trying to keep my head focused on the prize with learning more about the job I'm in, trying to apply what I know about material science and other areas to my job, and then finally just trying to contribute to the ultimate goal in any way I can helps me like think that, oh, it's okay, I do belong here. And so I think it really is just drowning yourself out sometimes and focusing more on what's important. And so I found that like, I am like trying to learn more and like I am contributing. Uh, I don't have time to doubt myself. And so sometimes I think like self-doubt is like somewhat beneficial, just like as a sandy check, like, oh, like, am I sure this is like what I want to be doing? But I think overall, like sometimes it's better just to believe in yourself and go for it. And unless it's like a huge mistake, like they're not going to fire you for it. So just know that like there is growing pains along the way. And that's just part of growing as a person uh, would be my general advice. But I think maybe if you ask me in five years, what my answer would be to this question, I'm sure it's going to change because as I become more accustomed, as I become more senior, things will change and hopefully I'll have less doubt. But it is a very large problem that really... It's up to you just to believe in yourself over non-belief in yourself. And so as I become more accustomed to my role, I'll gain more knowledge and become more of an expert. And I think that will uh, be the biggest driver overall is time. One thing that I read about recently is the concept of auto-suggestion. And the general premise is if you continue to repeat phrases about your, your own identity often enough, then you'll slowly basically program your mind to believe it. And like, it'll get to your subconscious that, you know, this is just how it is, right? And so one thing that if imposter syndrome is something that you're dealing with is just potentially like reading and writing every day, like something about your identity in terms of the confidence, like I belong, like I earn this role, whatever, right? Like I, I can't give specific advice, but just something to potentially read about is auto-suggestion and, and something to practice on a daily basis. I've personally seen it's it's helpful for me to, to build my confidence in areas where I feel like I'm lacking in experience. Not really like the fake it till you make it, but it's similar where when you have that confidence, then the growth mindset will kind of come in place and the self-doubt will gradually decrease over time. So it, there's that relationship there and just continuing to reiterate positive thoughts to yourself and and set that identity as someone who's a contributor, who provides value to your company, to your research group, etc. That'll quickly be internalized when you practice that on a daily basis.
So, okay. Those were, I believe, five topics that ChatGPT gave to us. And I really enjoyed this discussion, but you know, feel free to comment or, or let us know if you enjoyed this episode or if you want us to do anything more, more like it. But I hope it was helpful and I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. As a materials engineer, we can make an impact in nearly every single industry. But with that versatility comes a lot of options to choose from. So if you have no idea which position or industry is right for you, you're not alone. I've been there, I've done that. But just for a moment, imagine narrowing down your ideal role and company within the week. Imagine being able to secure your dream offer without having to apply to hundreds of job openings. Our online course, MSE Academy, includes video testimonials, resumes, interview prep, and mentorship from materials engineers who have been in your shoes. We also connect our members with companies and industry professionals in our expansive network to help accelerate your job search process as much as possible. To learn more and get started, simply click the link in the show notes below. And if you enroll within the next 24 hours, we'll add three bonus career-related resources. I hope to see you there.